Welcome back to Return to Odyssey. I'm Josh. I'm Rachel. And we're back to time travel once again to the late 80s to review a classic Adventures in Odyssey episode. Thanks for joining us. If you are new here, don't forget to subscribe and then you will get notifications whenever we drop an episode. That's right. And today's episode is brought to you in part by Audible. You can sign up via the link in our show notes to receive a one-month free trial and two free audiobooks. And today's audiobook recommendation is actually one that is kind of sort of referenced in the Odyssey episode, sort of. They mentioned that Wit is reading a book by Robert Louis Stevenson, so I thought it was a good opportunity for me to recommend one of my favorite Robert Louis Stevenson stories, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The version on Audible that we recommend is the unabridged version read by Richard Armitage. If you are not familiar with that actor, he plays Thorin Oakenshield in the Peter Jackson adaptation of The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. He is also Guy of Gisborne in the BBC Robin Hood. He's a lot of fun. He's really good. And it's a good story if you're not familiar with it. It's a classic spooky story, mad scientist stuff, but it's also a really good exploration of human nature and the dangers of compromise, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of good life lessons, good moral to it as well. Yeah, it is actually strangely connected with this because this episode is about human nature. Yeah. Depraved human nature, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a exploration of the depravity of man. You know, I hadn't even thought of that connection when I wanted to make this recommendation, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Connie needs to read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and get her uh, perspective changed. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. So, without further ado, let us move on to the episode. Yeah. Today's episode is titled Promises, Promises. It is episode number six in the in, album that we're listening to. In the to. album. As we have discovered recently, it might not be episode six that was aired. No, but for the purposes of our show, we're halfway through the early classics album, The Adventure Begins. By um, the way, if you want to listen along with us, we also have an affiliate link for that album in our show notes. So this episode is actually shorter than normal. Just a little bit. Because we've talked before about the character Officer Harley. Mm-hmm. and the fact that he was cut from a lot of episodes. And some of them they re-recorded, and I think some of them they mashed together. They left him in there like gifts for matching guy. This one, apparently he appeared in, but when they released this on album, they just cut all of his bits out, and that resulted in a story that was somewhat shorter. Yeah, I guess the parts that he was in were not essential to the core of the story. Mm -hmm. Some of the episodes he was in, he was in all through, and they just dropped those episodes from the the albums. Or they redid them entirely. Or we found out recently from our friend Leah Seam on AIO Audio News that some of those scripts with Officer Harley, they adapted into some of the animated uh, shows later on. Yes, and they gave his lines to other people or brought in other characters to fill in for some of the things that he was doing. But I guess in this episode, he was not essential to the core of the story, so they found that they could cut his bits and the episode would flow more or less the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. So we begin with Chris waiting outside Wit's End for her friend Phil, who promised to take her bowling. And Phil is actually voiced by Phil, Phil Lawler. Lawler so the this, creator of the show. This, again, is one of those weird... Chris exists in Odyssey, but she also... Doesn't really. Well, she does, but she's the only one who the really straddle. can break the fourth wall and straddle mm-hmm. into the real world. And in this one, she's waiting outside Wit's End for Phil Lawler to show up in a show yeah. that he is a producer for. It's... It's very strange. very strange. Well, and it raises several questions. We'll get to that in one second because she gets a payphone. Well, first off, she says that Phil is supposed to meet her and take her bowling. Yes. Which I'm wondering in the story of Odyssey, is Chris dating Phil Lawler? To me, did that, they even think about that? That sounds know. like a date. I don't know. I don't know if Phil was married at this point or what. Raises on. questions for me. Yes. What's going on here? Probably they're not. And she just has never been bowling, maybe? I don't know. 
But they're focusing more on the fact that he's not there and he promised to take her bowling. So she's going to go find a payphone because they didn't have cell phones at the time. And then we go into the regular intro. <laughs> the music Pretty plays. Music and then plays it comes. And you have the Mr. Whitaker, let's see if this thing works. And then we get back to her on the payphone. And Phil answers, and he's really groggy. And yeah, he's, confused. like, waking up, which it's hard to know what time in the morning she's calling or day. Or if she's calling in the morning. Or what time it is, because she calls, and she's like, you were supposed to take me bowling. And he's having a hard time even knowing who she is at first. She's mm-hmm. like, Chris, Chris, Chris. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. Bowling. Yeah. But he says he was at a party late last night, and you know how it is. You know how these things go, and... And he's waking up all groggy, and I'm like, Phil, are you hungover? What's going on? What was going on at that party last night, buddy? Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, it's not really a thing. We're kind of exaggerating for comedic purposes. Probably they thought... But the but implications kind of are there. there. So anyway. But he promises. He says, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'll come and we I'll can still right go there. bowling. We'll I'll be right bowling. there. And Chris says, fine, we're going to go ahead and go into our story for today. And then we cut to Connie writing oh, a letter to talking. a friend. And Chris says, hey, Connie is writing a letter to her friend. And I'm going to butcher the quote, but she basically says, she says it's cool if we look over her shoulder and read along with her. She didn't say look over her shoulder. She said, we can stay as long as we don't disturb her. Come on, I think we can get a closer look. Which to me implies that we're reading over Connie's shoulder. Yeah, well, and it also sounds like Connie is aware of our presence, which is never again acknowledged. No, but this is another example. We talked about this in our review on AIO Audio News. That episode was more self-aware that it was a radio show. And this is a vestige of that kind of attitude. It's a bit more self-aware. Chris is usually this kind of disembodied narrator. And we as an audience in Odyssey are usually just kind of a disembodied audience. We're just floating there watching the action. It's very rare that we're told, oh, hey, here we are in Connie's room with her. But then Connie never recognizes yeah, our Connie presence. Yeah, Connie never acknowledges our presence, which, to be perfectly honest, I would find very disconcerting if I had a whole bunch of people reading over my shoulder while I am writing a letter to a friend. I think I've probably mentioned A Christmas Carol a time or two on this show already. I probably will forever because I love A Christmas Carol. But it's almost like Chris is one of the spirits leading Scrooge by the hand <laughs> through these scenes. Come, Come and see the visions of Odyssey, oh dear. And, and the people never recognize that we're there. Right. So anyway, Connie starts actually reading what she's writing, which this is a thing that often happens in Odyssey, and it's a... It has to happen in a radio show, otherwise you'll just hear scribbling and Most you won't know time. what's going on. Most of the time, in radio with this kind of thing, there's about three different ways that you could go about it. You could have somebody narrating what they're writing as they're writing it, which is... A very handy skill to have. I cannot do that. I have to either tell you what I'm going to say or write it. Or you can work the scene in such a way that somebody else reads aloud what has been written. Mm -hmm. Or you can do what they did with the screw tape letters. Excuse me, with they, meaning folks on the family, did with the screw tape letters. And all of screw tape's monologues are not necessarily narrated as he's writing them. some of them are so actually it's funny some of them have been converted into conversations between screw tape and wormwood that's true some of them you hear the pen scribbling and you hear screw tape's narration okay. and some of them are wormwood oh i got a letter from uncle screw tape reading that which by the way another plug here if oh, you have not that. listened to the Focus on the Family radio theater adaptation of the Screw Tape Letters. You best Brilliant. get on that because Andy it's amazing. Circus. Andy Circus is Uncle Screw Tape, and he's absolutely brilliant. I'm a diehard C.S. Lewis fan. Screw Tape Letters is a wonderful book if you've never read it, and the Focus on the Family version absolutely does it justice. Mm-hmm. I thought, though, that the time when you hear the pen, he's not actually monologuing in the moment, it's in his head. You're hearing what's going on. Okay, so we might be hearing what Connie's doing in her head, for that matter, as Connie's writing the letter. Uh, I suppose you could make that argument. Well, I just did make that (laughs) argument. You're nitpicking even more than we usually do. This is true. Moving on, 
she's telling her friend in LA, Marcy, all about her life in Odyssey and saying, well, you would think it would be boring, but it really isn't. There's a whole lot of interesting people. My mom and I are getting settled in. We've mm-hmm. gotten a dog, big golden retriever, and named her Kitty. Yes. So you call the dog, you just say, here, kitty, kitty, and this giant dog comes bounding up, and it kind of freaks people out. It's hilarious. Which, honestly, is never mentioned again, as far as I know, in the show, which is a shame, because that's really kind of a cute thing. And it would be a fun through line. She says, I got the idea from my boss, and she uses this as a means to transition into the core of her letter, is going to be telling her friend about... Wit. Yes. He's a writer. He's a businessman. He's a general fount of information. He used to own an encyclopedia company. He's an inventor. In listening to this, we decided we need to start just keeping a log of how many careers Wit has had. And fans of the show will know that there are many, many things even not mentioned here. Wit has lived more lifetimes than a normal person can. She also takes the time to mention a little bit about Tom Riley, who's friends with Wit. Mm-hmm. And she goes into this really brief segue where we hear a conversation between Wit and Tom. And she mentions that Tom is a really sharp guy. He does a lot of stuff. He's on the city council. He's a little league coach. He is a retired farmer. He's a very competent man. But she says he has a little trouble keeping up. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay, I think this was an illustration of Wit being so very patient with people. I think so. being generally liked. So Tom is asking Wit, do you have big plans for this evening? And he says, I'm about to go home and have a cup of hot cocoa and spend some time with Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh, that's great. You're having company. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not having company. I'm going to be reading And he's like, how are you going to be entertaining to your company if you're reading the whole time? No, no, no. Robert Louis Stevenson, he's dead. I didn't even know he was sick. And it goes back and forth and back and forth like that. We're the dialogue because it does progress. Oh, I get it. You're going to read aloud to him. And I would say it's him being intentionally obtuse, but that's not the way it's played. That's not the way it's played. It's played like Tom Tom really doesn't get it. Yeah. Knowing Tom later... It's the sort of thing he would do intentionally. But again, this is the early episodes and they probably hadn't figured out Tom's personality yet. Yeah, they hadn't fully figured out the character. He comes across kind of dumb. And it's disappointing. And it's a cute scene, but it's also kind of fluff that has nothing to do with the core of the story. Mm -hmm. And as short as this episode is, although there's stuff that's been cut... There is There's a kind of, of a lot of padding here. And the padding isn't bad, but it's not as tight a story as sometimes we have seen yeah. in Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So she keeps talking about Wit, such a patient man, and he makes Witson a fun place to work, and he always has something interesting to say. And She begins way... to sound like she's gushing yeah. about him a little bit, which, two thoughts. If I was her friend in L.A., I might raise my eyebrows and I might be a little bit concerned, like, do you have a crush on your boss or something like that? Because that's kind of the way it sounds. Yeah, it does. Although, honestly, from a character standpoint, we know that that's absolutely not the case. And what's happening with Connie and Wit is honestly a very healthy thing that Connie probably has not had a father figure male role model really in her life. And Wit is starting to fill that role. mm -hmm, We're told early on that her dad walked out. So who knows if she had any relationship with him at all Mm -hmm. or what's going on there. So we have a kind of void there that Wit now is filling in. He's her boss, but he also listens to her. Yeah, and and it's an example. I mean, she says, I don't like talking to people of my mom's generation, much less older than that. And Wit is at this point. In his 60s? Yeah, Yeah, easily. 60s or 70s. And he really listens to what I have to say, and he contributes. And yeah, and he gives advice, and he will call her on the carpet when she needs to be. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that even in the first episode that she showed up in. Exactly, yeah. And this is just a healthy thing that really every kid needs. Kids need adult women in their lives. They need mother figures, and they need father figures. And you really can't do without mm-hmm. one of those. Mm-hmm. And this is 
Wit has taken special interest in her because she's working for him, but this is also not Wit doing anything particularly special. And that is demonstrated, she talks about him always having something fun to say with the kids, and they transition into him telling a little riddle about, I can prove to you that I am not even in this room. Yeah, it's a scene happening at Wit's end. I'm not in Detroit, so I must be somewhere else. Well, if I'm somewhere else, then I certainly can't be here, can I? Uh, and all the kids are like, ah. It's kind of a lame dad joke of a riddle, but it's actually a nice setup for something that happens later in the episode. Yeah. And we'll get to it as it is. It felt like fluff before. Yeah. But this one later. has a nice callback. Yeah. So she's talking about all of that, and then she says he's really into religion. But don't worry, it's not like he hangs around airports or shaves his head or anything. He just takes being Christian very seriously and we were like yeah yeah that sounded too specific to be like a random thing that connie said and turns out that it is specific i did a little bit of research and i found an article from 1976 about harry krishna's which was a hindu sect that would hang around airports basically panhandling trying to do fundraising they would hand out flowers and literature i guess tracts and things Mm -hmm. and then they would ask for a donation yeah and this bordered on harassment the way it went down people were getting really annoyed because they're kind of very pushy and oftentimes there was literature and stuff that would recommend if someone offers you two dollars then you ask them for three dollars like that was part of what these people were these people were doing well, also, I don't know if they were doing this in the airport, but the Hare Krishna is part of a mantra that they would say, and they believed that the names of God were so powerful they should be chanted in the streets for the benefit of everybody. So if they're doing this panhandling and chanting... Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and stuff. It was kind of a public nuisance thing, oftentimes the way it was viewed. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this was in the late 70s yes. that this was going on, and you can totally picture this being a hippie thing. Hey, brother, have a flower. Hey, man, want to donate to our cause? Yes. This is absolutely a hippie thing. I don't have any evidence that this was still going on in the late 80s when Odyssey was being produced. Maybe it was. I couldn't find an article on this. But even if it wasn't, it would have still been in the minds of Phil yeah. Waller and the other people making Adventures in Odyssey mm-hmm. because they would have certainly encountered this themselves. Yeah. So when Connie says, my boss is really religious, but don't worry, he's not a weirdo like that. There is a cultural precedent for that kind of weirdo. Mm-hmm. Other groups that would hang out at airports were Jews for Jesus. And I think they had some actually anti-Hari Krishna pamphlets <laughs> that they would hand out to say, hey, don't follow this stuff. You should follow Jesus. Yeah, fortunately, there was no governmental banning or persecution about this. These people were exercising their right of free speech. Mm-hmm. The heads of the airports were getting kind of annoyed and they, they, wound, they negotiated lines of... Yeah, they wound up having like a, terrible. you can be within 10 feet of the ticket counter and no closer or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. anyway history so, tidbit yeah so connie says no he's not like that but you can pretty much guarantee the bible is going to come up at some point for example last week we were listening to the radio and i made an innocent little comment and now i wish i'd kept my mouth shut and that segues us into the meat of the episode and you're hearing a radio segment about hostages being held in the middle east Well, hostages being held on a plane. There are hijackers holding the passengers of the plane. And negotiations with those hijackers broke down when the authorities refused to release 14 convicted Israeli terrorists held in Tel Aviv. Okay. And this is, again, I find it interesting that this episode in particular seems to reference a lot of historical stuff that's going on at the time. This is not a reference to any particular incident not that we could find that we could find but there had been in the previous couple years american operations to get hostages out of israel Mm -hmm. and it's kind of one of those perennial things you could say at any time you could have a story set at any time in history and be like and there's turmoil in the middle east because there literally always is since the fall of jerusalem as in after solomon yeah, you could even argue that that was before then. Well, before and, the, after David, there's always been trouble. Or how about Moses when Goodness, they're taking the land? And I stuff. was thinking there's about a, the There's kingdom. always been war in the Middle East. Yeah. 
This is true. But we digress. Mm Mm-hmm. So Connie, after the segment is over, says, Can you believe all this stuff in the world? Why is everything so weird and violent? And Wit has a very level-headed response as a Christian. Yeah, he says that we've had violence ever since the fall, which really makes sense. If you look at the first murder is Cain and Abel, literally Adam and Eve's children. Mm -hmm. She sloughs it off like, yeah, okay, but we, we need to do something about it. He says, I am doing something about it. I'm going to spend some concentrated time in prayer. Which is really a good thought and really convicting Mm. to us because we don't spend as much time in prayer for our nation, for the world, as we probably should. And if you're listening and if you're a Christian, I encourage you to get on your knees. Our country's a mess. Our planet is a mess. And really, the only thing that's going to fix it is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That is something very effective we can do. But Connie does not think so, because Connie has yet to be saved. And she says, no, 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 I mean, really do something. There has to be a way to stop all of this. And that's when he says, well, do you have something in mind? Yeah, everyone's basically good, right? And if we just get all these good people to sit down and have a conversation and talk things out then we can really make some good changes. We wouldn't want to fight anymore. Yeah, so she's making some basic assumptions about human nature that Wit comes in and says, mm, false, people I lo- are I not basically line. good here. I love his line. That was a noble and wonderful speech. It's also, unfortunately, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. He doesn't really pull any punches. Though. Connie is acting like a typical teenager and not thinking about how this has worked out historically. Even setting aside these, she's absolutely wrong about basic human nature. This kind of experiment has been tried. Look at the UN. With varying degrees With varying of success. Degrees there's, of su- there's been there's some, some success there. But yeah, it's not like... Oh, all these nice people now sit down and, I mean, how many times have we seen peace talks? False pieces, yes. Yeah. Even in the church. You can have infighting. I mean, the church is made up of Human sinful people. And sinful people. And we are united in Christ. And when the church is functioning as it ought, then we can, as much as is possible before Christ comes again, sit down and find out how much we have in common because what we have in common is Christ. But being realistic, it doesn't always happen that way because we are fallen still. Anyway, Wit says, you are making a basic false assumption about human nature. For example, look at any of the kids that come into Wit's end. I don't have to tell them to misbehave, but you have to teach them how to behave. Mm -hmm. So you're wrong when you say that man is basically good. And this is true. If you've ever spent time around a small child, then it's obvious you don't need to teach a kid how to tell a lie you need to teach a kid how to tell the truth Mm -hmm. we are born messed up and little kids are cute and fun and hilarious and And all that stuff balls of sin yeah and they need to be taught and trained from an early age so Connie, as she is wont to do, takes this to the logical absurdist end. So you mean we're just bad from the very beginning and there's nothing we can do to get better? And Wit's like, no, we can be changed, but it's going to take a lot more than just wishing it to be so. Mm-hmm. If you're focusing on the outward change, then you're in for trouble because the root of the problem is inside your soul. Mm-hmm. Which Connie does not agree with. And she says, you know what? I get that. I might have some problems too, but it starts with us. It starts with each person has to make a choice and we can choose to be better. Mm-hmm. The year is 1988. We just wrapped up Christmas 1987, so we're assuming this airs January 1988. In 1987, Michael Jackson released his hit album, Bad, which was a landmark pop album hit after hit after hit dirty diana bad of course smooth criminal Mm -hmm. and a little track called man in the mirror perhaps you've heard it before if you want to make the world a better place take a look at yourself and make a change and this is a noble sentiment and it's one that connie is echoing here 
So this is a song I guarantee you, kids who listen to Odyssey would have would have heard. Yeah, it, it would have been on the radio all the time. It was a number one hit. Mm-hmm. So the producers are pulling from this idea. Possibly it may be a coincidence, but Connie essentially says that we just have to decide to be better and make a promise to ourselves that we're going to be better. And so she grabs a piece of paper because Whitsend is like Snoopy's doghouse and there's paper at the front counter or wherever they are. Yeah, and it's a magical. <laughs> Whatever they need, they have. Starts writing. He's like, what are you doing? I am writing down a promise. I solemnly promise to treat everyone I meet with kindness, gentleness, and patience from now on. So the first thing that I notice about this statement, gentleness, patience, and kindness are all fruits of the Spirit. These are not things that we can work up of our own accord. We can't will ourselves to be more kind. We can do nice things, but it takes much more than just, I am going to be patient. These are things that Christ works within us. Mm -hmm. It's by God's grace that we're allowed to do any of these things. Yes. And I would say when unbelievers exhibit these attributes, that's an example of common grace. Yes. The second observation is that she is not giving herself any limitations here. She is saying, from this point forward, I will always do this. She is laying down law for herself with no margin for error, no room for grace, no room for fallibility. While it's a noble sentiment, while it sounds great... It's an impossibly tall order, and Wit kind of starts laughing at her, and he says... I don't think this is a good idea. And she's like, you don't think I can make it? He's like, I don't think you can make it a week. What are you even doing? Yeah, and so he convinces her actually to put some limits on this. He says, okay... For the sake of experiment. Yeah. And this is a teachable moment. And you got to love wit because he dives in head first. Okay, let's choose one attribute, say patience. And then let's set a time limit. Give it four weeks, say, and see if you can do that for four weeks. And she's like, now, wait a second. You're not going to provoke me into being impatient, right? You're not going to do things that are just going to deliberately rile me. And he said, no, absolutely not. I'm not even going to tell anyone else. This is between you and me. Which we both of us said, if Eugene had been on the show at the time. It would have been so funny. (laughs) Because he would have totally done that. He would have intentionally pushed her buttons. To push her buttons. But he's not. And that's for Connie's sake, a good thing. So she says, well, you'll see. Just call me Patience. And immediately, a kid shows up and says... And he's asking for a milkshake yeah, or something at the counter. Yeah, and I'll be with you in a minute. Um, I mean, sure, I'll get that for you right away. Nice catch, patience. So then we segue back into listening to Connie write her letter. Mm-hmm. And she does a little bit of exposition to move us forward in time. For the first few days, it went great. I was patient with everybody. People complimented me on how patient I was. And it felt really good to make people happy like that. And then about the fourth day, it all went, in her words, kablooey. Over nothing. Which is a great word. Kablooey is just... (laughs) We don't use the word kablooey enough. I'm determined to start using it more often in everyday speech. I think the only other place I've heard it used is in a Calvin strip. Hamster Huey and And the the Gooey gooey Kablooey is the book that Kelvin always wants his dad to read. So then as she's writing, we segue back into actually watching the scene takes place. And they're all, I'm assuming, upstairs? You know, this is another of those things. It's really hard to tell where anything is. Wit is reading in Inventor's Corner. Mm -hmm. He's sitting in Inventor's Corner reading this book of riddles. But where Inventor's Corner is in Wit's End, it might vary from episode to episode. Yeah. It's really hard to have there. any like, sense it's... of where things are in Wit's End. Yeah, and everybody is there. Wit and Connie are there and a bunch of kids. But if Wit and Connie are in Inventor's Corner... No one's manning the ice cream counter. So if there's some kid, especially if they're upstairs, if some kid walks in downstairs and is standing at the counter like, Hello! He's just waiting for his banana split, and there's, like, Nobody's no one to show here. up. Or they might know Wit well enough to be like, well, I'll just go find him and go upstairs. Oh, we're reading riddles. Yeah. Who knows? It's a very relaxed atmosphere with this. So, anyway. Easiest job ever. Yeah. Well, and you made the point that it is really cool that Wit takes time to just chill and do simple things like read riddles to the kids. Yeah. 
Anyway, he reads off this it's a pretty old riddle. Yeah, it's a classic nursery rhyme. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks, each sack had seven cats, each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? And the answer is one, because the riddle is, as I was going to St. Ives. It's kind of a no-brainer. It's almost a non-riddle. But you have to pay attention, and the kids are not paying attention. So they sit down and they say, okay, we have to do some math. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven cats. How many cats did we have? That's seven times seven, 49. And each cat had seven kittens, so that's 49 times seven, 343. And so then we have to add the 49 to the 343, and that gives us 392. And they continue this progression. They're doing this mental math. They don't have any paper or anything. No paper, there's, no calculus. There's the slightest pause, and the kids are like, rattling off these numbers it's like rain man it's ridiculous uh uh 2744 2744 cats 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 i'm definitely allergic to cats definitely definitely allergic to cats which end is full of math savants (laughs) and wit makes no comment about that they're like wasn't our math right Oh, your math was perfect. Yeah, and he just says your math was perfect, and I'm standing here so, stunned. So at with these the kids. Yeah, there's no calculator sound effect or anything. They're just it's, really it's ridiculously good at math. Yeah. Go figure. So they have a good laugh over, oh my gosh, it was such a simple answer. And then Wit has Connie read one, which is pretty much built upon the same principle. It's a riddle about an electric train is going east at so many miles an hour, and the wind is blowing west at so many miles an hour, so which direction is the smoke blowing? A similar riddle in that it's framed like a word problem, because mm-hmm. you're given the miles per hour, and it's traveling right. this direction, and wind going that direction. Feels like a story problem. But the whole point is, if you're paying attention to this one, ignore the math-sounding stuff that's all distractor mm-hmm. from what the riddle is actually about. Mm-hmm. The shtick of this one is that it's an electric train. Electric trains don't have smoke. Unless, I guess, some actually do. If you have a fancy one that has a little thing that burns oil or whatever. But the shtick of this riddle is that it doesn't. There is no smoke. It's an electric train. Yeah. And several things happen. One, Connie, in reading this, has not paid enough attention to what went on just beforehand to be prepared for how the kids are going to take this riddle. Because she goes into it saying, oh, this is so easy. You should all get this. And then they don't. And then they don't. They start trying to figure it out the same way that they started trying to figure out the St. Ives riddle by doing all of the math stuff. And she completely flips her lid. Yeah. She's like, what are you guys, stupid? She doesn't say stupid, but. No, she said, I can't believe you guys are so dense. After a couple times saying, no, don't you guys understand? Listen listen to the riddle. Listen to the riddle. And there's pause, pause, pause. And she's like, I cannot believe it. It's an electric train. You guys have a giant electric train set upstairs. You see it every day. I can't believe you're being so dense. Yeah. And she flips out, which felt unearned honestly it was weird because in this kind of situation if something like that happened if i knew someone and saw them flip out over a riddle like this i would be like okay what's actually going on do you need a moment do we need to talk because that was an uncalled for flip out over something extremely trivial Mm -hmm. the other thing is that In my experience, probably the ungracious way to respond to riddles is not to flip out when someone gets it wrong, but to gloat, I think, is more the natural way to respond about someone not getting a riddle. Ha ha, I know the answer, and you don't. You're too dumb. That would be Eugene. That's not Connie's personality. Well, yeah, that's Eugene. It's also me. (laughs) Yes, this is also true. To be fair, audience, he's very good about reining in his gloating enough that he doesn't become a jerk about it. Except for sometimes. Except for sometimes, when he's creaming me at Smash Up. So, the difficulty is that they did not establish that Connie was stressed out about anything else. She actually does legitimately get angry over a riddle. There's no other underlying problem that she's worrying about. Yeah, it really is just the riddle. So it does feel too much of a blow-up to be realistic. At all events, though, she realizes, split second after she has 
blown up, which that is so, so realistic where you're like, doggone it. Yeah, the moment that afterward. Was so bad. Yeah, and she's immediately mortified. And that's and when. Walks out. And she walks out, and then we have a great conversation as Wit catches up to her mm-hmm. and is like, wow, what happened yeah, there? Are you okay. And she's like, well, let me finish scraping all the egg off my face. Yeah, because now it's time for her to eat humble pie mm-hmm. and to say, about all of this promise I made, I'm just going to be more patient. I'm just going to be a better person. It didn't work. It worked for a little while. I could fake it. And then it all blew up. Yeah. And nobody enjoys eating humble pie. And she, as is natural, is kind of grumpy about it. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I guess so. You're right. Again. How did you know? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Don't tell me. It's in the Bible. Well, actually, yeah, it is. Because you're treating the symptoms and not the root of the problem. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's making a reference to Romans Mm 3.23. And that's proving his argument for you've got things backwards. You believe the man is basically good and that's not the case. And Connie says, but I don't understand. Doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? And Witt says, no, it doesn't. And that's a really common truism. And we actually looked up, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Turns out that there's a couple of sources, certainly not biblical, where that comes from. It's attributed to ancient Greece, Mm -hmm. kind of a truism that came out of Greek culture, as in the gods help those that help themselves. And there's also a reference in the Quran that sounds very like that. Allah will not change the condition of a people until they were that change in themselves so the idea of god helps those that help themselves if you want to think about it at its furthest extent it's kind of an Mm anti-gospel sentiment god helps us in reality when we cannot help ourselves that's the beauty of the gospel so connie says i was right then when i said it's hopeless and Witt says, no, there is hope, but you're looking in the wrong place. The change has to come from deep down in your soul and let God renew your mind. Which is good. It's the only thing that I had any real complaint with, because this is, again, soft-serve Christianity that I've talked about. Unlike the difficulty we had, for example, with Mrs. Rosini, we know Witt lives out his faith, and he understands exactly what he means and exactly what he's saying. The issue we had was he didn't go far enough in this particular instance. Yeah, it talks about change has to come from deep down, but he never says that it only comes when we turn our lives over to Christ and when we trust Jesus and when we say, I will die to myself and I will live unto Christ. And after that is when God is renewing your mind. And that's where the work of sanctification comes in Mm -hmm. for a Christian. We're working through a book right now with friends from church called The Pursuit of Holiness. Mm -hmm. That's all about this, Jerry Bridges. And it's good stuff. And there are two things going on in the life of a Christian. Number one, God is working within us to work sanctification. And it is by his grace that we are able to be free from sin, We now are no longer slaves to sin, and we are able to start making right choices Mm -hmm. and able to honor God in our mortal bodies. Mm -hmm. It's the already not yet. We are already justified. We are already sons of God, heirs through Christ, heirs to everlasting life and blessedness in worshiping God for all eternity. And we already are going to be perfected in the new heavens and the new earth. But it's not yet. We're in that process of being perfected. Mm-hmm. And that's the Holy Spirit working through us in sanctification. And, and that's what, both of those. And that's what James means when he talks about work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Yes. And continually remember that. James also talks about a man who does not see his own sin and recognizes his own sin is like a man who sees his reflection in a mirror, walks away and completely forgets it. So, are you saying that he's a man looking at the man in the mirror? Yes. Huh. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. 
No question could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Turns out Michael wasn't so very wrong. He was just not quite right. But if we look into the mirror of God's word, it does show us our error. That's what the point of the law is. The law shows us our own deficiency. No one gets saved because we can follow the law because we can't follow the law. The law shows us how far off we are and how much we need grace. Which is why Christ came to fulfill the law. Mm -hmm. So all of this was really good stuff, but we didn't necessarily need wit to say as much as we did. No, I would have been happy with really one sentence or two sentences. Yeah, he could have been far more detailed and laid out the gospel In one or two more sentences, but he didn't. We're not having the issue just because Connie is unsaved and needs to hear the gospel. Kids listening to this who are saved, who are growing up in Christian homes, still need to be reminded of the gospel. Adults need to be reminded of the gospel. We need it. On a regular basis. So we wish he could have gone further and been more specific, and he didn't need to spend two, three minutes, and sing Michael Jackson to do it. (laughs) That would have been fun. That would have been funny. So Connie says, well, I have learned my lesson about making promises about things I can't control, like feelings. And Wit says, well, yeah, and you know what? That's in the Bible, too. We were not sure exactly what he meant. Yeah, there's principles at work here about don't swear an oath, maybe, or... Don't say, tomorrow we will go to thus and such a town and buy and sell and make a profit. Rather say, if the Lord wills it. Yeah, that, do those are, that's because the closest thing I could find. Yeah, Wit says, let's go back out there and tend to our guests. And they end on reconciliation. Connie goes back out. We don't hear this part, but I assume apologizes to the, to kids. the kids. Yeah. They wind up being, it's cool, we're okay. And it ends and, on a peaceful note. And So then we have the outro, and we fade back to Connie writing her letter, and she's just kind of sums up, I'm out out of paper, so I think I'll sign off for now. These people really care about me. Love, Connie. That was very abrupt. It's less abrupt in the show. And then we switch back to Chris, and Chris is like, oh, maybe Connie will like us enough to stick around for a little while longer. Which is an ironic statement, because Connie, as we mentioned before, is the longest-lived character on the show besides Wit. Yes. Will she stick around a little while? I would say so. And I'm sure many of you know this already, that she still is on the show. Yeah. 30-some-odd years later. Yeah. Anyway, and then Phil Lawler runs up and... Josh made the comment that for a man who just woke up 19 minutes and 49 seconds ago? Yeah, I don't know. Just for the course of the story, he's a champ for being there. He must have just thrown clothes on and scooted out the door. Yeah. So he's there. (laughs) They're going to go bowling. And he says, I'm so sorry. I promised you. And she's like, it's okay. And that's really it. It just kind of ends. They go and everybody says goodbye. And hooray, we had a much lighter Odyssey episode this time. And a much stronger Odyssey episode than certainly the past one we -hmm. listened to. Hooray, I'm glad we can give a positive review for one. no glaringly bad issues. And even stylistically, we did talk about, especially for such a short episode, It could have been even shorter and not really lacked anything, because all the stuff at the beginning, which is probably where the Officer Harley material was, could have been cut without detracting much from the story. You know, there's some stuff that's in there that I guess they're still doing some world building for what is Odyssey, what is the town, who are the people in the town, and all of that. And the conversation with Wit and the kids was referenced again when he's reading riddles. with. Yeah, when he's reading riddles before then, brain teasers, and then that comes up later. What I would have liked, though, is to see the deal with Connie and her promise worked out a bit longer. It would have been neat to see, oftentimes in stories, we have what's called a try-fail cycle, Mm -hmm. where a character tries something fails, tries, fails, tries, and maybe the third time, because stories often operate in threes, succeeds in oh joy. It would have been great to have that flipped for Connie in this and have a try-succeed cycle. Mm -hmm. It would operate on the yes and. Does she succeed? Yes. And this next thing happens. 
Does she succeed? Yes. And this next thing comes along to try her patience. And then finally, the final trial, she just can't stand it anymore and just explodes. That would have made possibly the same length of episode, but filled out more. More of her actually trying to make good on becoming a perfect person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, these are early episodes, and I think they get better at this kind of thing as they continue. So for me, the strongest episodes we've listened to so far, I would say the secret sauce to making a good, a really good early Odyssey episode is Connie Kendall. Mm -hmm. Anytime her character is there so far, they've been some of my favorites. And I always found the ones where they didn't try to handle deep, weighty subjects tended to be stronger. There's some deep stuff here, but it's not heavy. Yeah, there's a difference between good, solid, deep content and heavy content. And the ones that I always, in my memory at least, liked better, and I'm finding as we're re-listening, the ones I like better are ones that are not trying to address a hot topic. Mm -hmm. And with that, I think we're done for today. I think so. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Remember that you can check us out on Anchor, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, most anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like us and review us on apple podcast that makes our show more visible tell your friends if you like this stuff we're having a ball doing it and if you would like to contact us you can write us an email at serpent and dove specfic at gmail.com mm-hmm. that's s-p-e-c as in speculative f-i-c as in f-i-c. fiction until next time have a great couple weeks and we'll see you later Thank you.